And good morning to all of you at home who are joining us online uh, this morning. We are very excited about the way in which our online presence has been developing and growing, and uh, many of you have participated in helping us to get all of the equipment that we need to make that a much more, if you like, substantial experience in these coming weeks and months. Uh, Chris and the team are still putting together all of those things, but whilst he's doing that, we are beginning to develop opportunities for those of you who are in our online community to join us for conversation, to join us for community, to join us for connection. On a Sunday, before the 10 o'clock service in-house, you can go to a Zoom room. If you go to the website, it will show you how to get in. And that, that community room, that, that place of conversation, will be available right the way through the service and then afterwards. On a Monday and a Tuesday, I've got all of the times here. I've been told that I've got to tell them exactly as they are. On a Monday and on a Wednesday, we have conversation rooms, connection rooms, opening at 12 noon to 1 o'clock in the afternoon. For those of you who want to maybe grab a bit of lunch and have some conversation in that Zoom room. And then on Tuesdays, it's at 6.30 to 7.30 in the evening. And on Thursdays, it's at 7 to 8. So pretty much from Sunday all the way through to Thursday, there's an opportunity for you to have conversation and connection. And really what we do in those times is very much what we do in our house churches and households. We simply ask, what is it that God is saying to you through the worship and the word that you've experienced this week? as we've met together in-house and online. And that conversation begins and is, is not defined in any way, it's not controlled by anyone, it's simply encouraged and um, it's really producing some tremendous uh, conversations and some tremendous fruit in people's lives. If you'd like to be part of that, feel free to join us in those times. Those times will be, of course, published on the website and in the social media platforms throughout the week. Now. What we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is doing something that sometimes we don't, we don't really do when we gather as church. The beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke says that the first volume, his gospel, the gospel of Luke, introduced to us everything that Jesus began to teach and do. Everything that Jesus began to teach and do, implying that in his second volume, the Acts of the Apostles, we would see the things that Jesus continued to do, not in the flesh, but through the people who were his followers. And when you look at what it is that we understand to be the teaching and the activity of Jesus, what he taught and what he did, we can understand that the way that the way that we the, the way that we embrace that is to is to recognize that Jesus has some words for us. Jesus has works that he that he does then and now, and Jesus has ways. The words, of course, are the, the words of divine revelation written for us in the scriptures. The works are the works of God which are miraculous, they're signs and wonders. They're things that we're going to be learning how to participate in and even be channels of in these coming weeks. 
And then the ways of Jesus are all to do with how it was that Jesus operated. Today, and over some of the coming next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the ways of Jesus. We often look at the word of Jesus, of course. Today, we will be drawing the ways of Jesus from his word. Of course, we look at his word. Of course, we want to engage with his works, the miraculous things that God is doing right now around the world. But to become, but to become authentic followers of Jesus, to become those who can be seen in the world, to be bearing the identity of Jesus, we need to be doing things in the way of Jesus. How does Jesus do stuff? Well, today we're going to learn what it means to understand the way that Jesus makes disciples. And in making disciples, we're going to learn the way in which we need to communicate with others. There is a way that Jesus communicated. And that way of communication is what we're going to learn today. Let me start by telling you a couple of stories. The first story is a man called Monty. Monty Roberts. And his story, as he tells it, really is a story that, that really gets going when he's a teenager. His early life is kind of shrouded a little bit by mystery. He's come from an abusive home. His father is a, a, a horse trainer. And he uses the old-fashioned the old ways of training horses where he would break a horse. The horse, as it grows up to, to maturity, is tied to a post. And then the horse is sacked out. And the way that, the, way that the, the horse is sacked out is that the horse is unable to run away and the trainer comes with a sack and frightens the horse. The horse tries to escape, but of course he's unable to because he's tied to the post. Eventually, the horse submits its will to the trainer and it begins the process of being broken. Monty's father thought that breaking Monty was the best way to nurture him. And so Monty grew up with not a particularly helpful picture of what it means to be a father, of what it means to be a man. It meant that very often he would, he would try to separate himself. He would often find places where he could be alone. And when his father and his team of wranglers went out onto the prairies, Monty would separate himself from the group as the wranglers went out and rounded up the, the wild mustangs, and he would watch from a distance what it was that was happening. Now, at about the age 13, Monty Roberts began to notice something that he hadn't seen before. He noticed that the horses were communicating with one another through body language. Now, of course, horses are able to make noises, but they don't have a very large vocabulary. But they have amazing capacity to communicate with one another with the use of their body. What he noticed was, if there was a particular horse that was singular and alone because the wranglers had taken away its herd, that horse would look to gain access into another herd 
by means of this body language. And it wouldn't matter whether that individual was a stallion that was strong and noble. It would come to the herd seeking entrance as an equal. And the way that it would work is this. The stallion would, would come close. And often it would be a stallion because they often would be the most powerful and the fastest. And they would be the ones that the wranglers would find it most difficult to, to catch. The stallion would come close to the herd. And as he came close to the herd, the leader of the herd, the lead mare, take note, gentlemen, the lead mare would separate herself from the group and she would confront the stallion. Now, the way that she would confront the stallion is that she would lay her ears back, she would look him in the eye and she would set her shoulders squarely to challenge the newcomer. The newcomer may be bigger than the lead mare, would stop. The lead mare would see that the stallion had stopped. And so she would turn her flank towards the stallion and allow him to come closer. And as he came closer, she would turn again, ears back, Eyes fixed on eyes, shoulders square, and the new horse would stop. Now, this would be repeated many times until the point came when the new horse was really quite close to the lead mare. At this point, Monty began to notice that the new horse took on a different kind of behavior. It began to act like a foal. Even though it may be older than the lead mare, even though it may be stronger than the lead mare, even though it may have greater power and capacity than the lead mare, the new horse coming towards the herd for protection and safety would begin to move its mouth in the way that a foal would move its mouth. Monty Roberts calls it licking and chewing. It begins to move its tongue in a particular way and it looks like it's even speaking. At that point, the lead mare would allow the horse to come closer still, but then she would challenge it for the final time. And in that final moment, the horse seeking to gain entrance into the herd would bow its head to the ground and take the posture of a young foal, asking the lead mare if it could gain admittance to the herd. Now, Monty saw this and he observed that this happened every time there was a singular horse looking to gain entrance into a herd. So this particular behavior was something that was seen over and over again. And because Monty saw it over and over again, he believed that he could do it too. And so as a boy of 13, he would go out onto the prairie and begin talking to horses by by shaping his body in a particular way. He would set his shoulders and fix his eyes on the horses and they would stop. And some of them would run away. The ones that wanted to, to connect with him, he would, he would stand sideways and they would, they would come closer. And as a boy of 13, he would begin, he would begin to communicate with the horses. And there was a deep connection 
that was found and formed between him and these wild horses of the prairie. Very soon he began to be called the horse whisperer. By the time he was an adult, he became the greatest horse whisperer in the world, the greatest trainer in the world. Every great stable in the world either has had Monty in their presence or someone has been to him to be trained in how to communicate with horses. Monty understood that written deep into the creation, deep into the fabric of what God has made, there is a way in which his creatures communicate. And they communicate through an invitation to come closer and a challenge to change. Now this this mechanism is so deeply riven into creation that you will see it in a whole host of different environments. And one environment that you'll see it most especially is the way in which Jesus communicates with his disciples, both in the time of the Bible and now. We've got a video of Monty dealing with a horse. Now, he gets a rider onto the horse a horse that's been abused, a horse that's been terribly treated, he gets a rider onto this horse in 16 minutes. When people watched it, they thought that it was just a fiction. They assumed that this was so impossible that he was just some kind of charlatan making it up. But he's done it so many times, he's done it with other people's horses, he's done it multiple times. And, and now, as an old man, you can go to Monty Roberts' uh, stable out there in California and you can watch him training horses to this day. But Monty Roberts is operating within an understanding of creation that we can see and observe very clearly in the scriptures. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about another person, a person called Simon he was a fisherman, and um, as a fisherman, he, he was a night fisherman. He didn't fish during the day. He went out in medium-sized boats onto a large inland sea, and he, at night, would take great lanterns and lift them up, and as he lifted them up, the fish would be attracted to the light in the midst of the darkness. And as the fish are attracted to the light, so Simon the fisherman would throw a circular net with, with weights all around the edge so it's like a huge pizza. And he would throw it out onto the lake. And of course, the net landing on the water would cause the fish to be scared and to swim away as quickly as possible. But some of them would be caught by the net as the net closed around itself with the use of these weights. Peter would pull in the net, take the fish home, and trade them and eat them as part of his livelihood. This Peter, of course, is Simon Peter, who one day after catching no fish, meets Jesus on the beach near the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus says, leave everything. 
I'm going to teach you to become a fisher of men. Now, I've studied the Bible for 40-something years, and I've tried to work out what Jesus meant by that. What did he mean when he said to Simon, I'm going to make you a fisher of men? Because there's no teaching anywhere in the gospel about what it means to be a fisher of men 101. What it means to be a fisher of men 102. What it means to be a fisher of men masterclass. There's no teaching. I found it really odd as a young Christian. I said, if Jesus is, Jesus is going to make Peter and these other guys fishers of men, where do we find that information? But of course, what Jesus meant was this. The process by which Peter knew how to attract fish and catch them, which was invitation and challenge, was the very mechanism, the the very method that Jesus would use in his life and would train him to use in the lives of others. There are so many examples. And what we see Jesus doing is inviting the disciples deeper and deeper into relationship until at the very end of the story, he describes them as being one with him. And as they are drawn deeper into relationship with him, so the challenges get larger and larger. Challenges like, take up your cross and follow me. Give up your life and everything that you have, and commit yourself to me. These increasing invitations and deepening challenges were what Peter, Simon Peter, and the other disciples became familiar with on a daily basis. Peter was in the boat, remember. They'd just seen the feeding of the 5,000. It was the most amazing thing that many of them had ever seen. They'd seen Jesus healed. They'd seen Jesus cast out demons. And, and, and now Jesus was feeding a crowd of multitudes with a, with a small packed lunch. How is that possible? Jesus sends the disciples ahead of him. He says, I'll catch you up later. The disciples had no idea what he meant. In the middle of the night, around two o'clock in the morning, They're straining against the oars, the the wind is blowing, the waves are are lapping against the, the fishing boat that they're in. And here comes Jesus, walking on the water. And as he walks on the water, of course, there are great waves, and so you sometimes see Jesus and sometimes you don't. Because it's it's in the it's in the middle of really a high, a high challenge environment. The waves are high. The wind is howling. They wonder whether it's a ghost that they see. Jesus says, it's me, guys. It's okay. Now, Peter, by now, was so familiar with invitation and challenge, he said, Lord, if it's you, say the word and I'll come to you. And Jesus says, well, come on then. And so Peter gets out and he begins to walk on the water towards Jesus. He's heard the invitation. He's forgotten about the circumstances because the invitation is everything. 
He's heard the invitation and now he's moving towards Jesus. And as he moves towards Jesus, he begins to notice that he's doing something that he's never done before. He's walking on water. And nobody can do that. The Bible says he sees the wind and the waves and begins to sink. The circumstances are used by Jesus to challenge Peter. And Peter begins to sink and he calls out and says, Lord, help me, save me. Jesus takes his hand and they walk together back to the boat. Jesus is always calibrating invitation and challenge. By the time Peter was ready to lead the group of disciples on the day of Pentecost, Peter has now been shaped by invitation and challenge at the hands of Jesus. He's heard Jesus make the big invitation at the beginning of his ministry, come follow me. He's heard Jesus make the big challenge at the end of his ministry, go into all the world and make disciples. And he's heard all of the little invitation and challenges in between. He's heard the, the deepening call to relationship. He's heard the, the, the wider and more expansive challenge to take on the great, the great difficulties and struggles of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And now he's been filled with the Holy Spirit as we heard last week. And his whole being is animated. And as his being is animated, all of the circuitry that Jesus has placed into his life through the process of invitation and challenge comes alive. And Peter becomes a kind of invitation and challenge machine. An invitation and challenge man. Now, on every occasion that he gets the opportunity, invitation and challenge comes from him. We'll see him over and over again in the coming weeks. And you'll notice that, that he's constantly using this, this way, this, this, this method of Jesus to bring people to follow Jesus in his time and in his place. The crowd gather on the streets because they hear the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit filling the room in which they are, in which they are worshipping. The crowd gather because they hear Galileans speaking to them in every language of the known world, declaring the, the glories and the goodness of God. The crowd gather because they think this is crazy and they think that the people are crazy. And some of them ridicule them and say they must be drunk. And in chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, Then Peter, the horse whisperer, stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Do you hear the invitation? Now, these are people who Peter knows were complicit in the death of Jesus. You'll hear him say it in a moment. They're complicit. They colluded in the murder of Jesus. Do you think he feels like a fellow Jew with them? Do you think he likes them? These are not people who are in a different political party. 
These are people that on any normal day, everybody would excuse Peter for hating them. But Peter knows that Jesus loves all people, that Jesus wants all men and women, boys and girls, to follow him. And so he extends the invitation and says, you and I, you and I, we can find some places of connection. You and I, we have a common history. You and I, we have common heroes. You and I, we have a common heritage. There are particular, there are particular things that we, that we look at and that we recognize this as, as things that we share in this, this temple, this city, this place that we, that we honor and recognize. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, listen carefully. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Here's a common hero sharing common history, speaking of a common artifact, the scriptures. And he reads out the prophecy of Joel in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people, says the Lord. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he puts a little bit of distance. It's almost like he's just giving them warning that right now, even though he addressed them as fellow Jews, now he's speaking to them as a group who are identified with a history of rebellion. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you hear the challenge? Peter has learned how to become a fisher of men. Peter has learned how to horse whisper the people around him. He knows how to draw people in by finding ways to identify with his audience. Say the word identification. Okay, we're going to try that one more time. Say the word identification. That's what Peter is doing. He's finding a way to identify with the people who are listening to him. It's called identification, and you do it by finding common touching points, common connecting points in history and heroes and heritage. And then 
He brings in a challenge, and the challenge is all about differentiation. Say differentiation. Differentiation means that you begin to separate yourself from your audience. And you separate yourself from your audience by saying, your story is different to my story. And you and I, because we have a different story, we are to some extent separated, even though we have a common history, a common heritage, and common heroes. There is a separation between you and I, and more especially, there's a separation between you and the God who gives me my story. Now, in that differentiation, we have the seeds of salvation. Because if people hear that the story that is being presented to them is a story with which they want to be identified, if they hear that the salvation that's being offered to them is a salvation that they want to embrace so that their, so that their separation is removed and they're brought close to God, then the amazing miracle of join-up happens between heaven and earth, between the hearts of lost unbelievers and the heart of a merciful, loving, grace-filled God. Peter uses invitation and challenge again. As you go on in the sermon, he talks about David, a common hero, he speaks of David's testimony and witness of the day when the Lord will come. And Peter, using this invitation, says this in verse 29. Brothers, is that invitation or challenge? You should know by now. Brothers. It's identification, isn't it? Therefore, it's invitation. Communication is about identification and differentiation. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. And he goes on to speak of, of David's role and of David's tomb there in Jerusalem. And then in verse 36, he says, therefore, let all Israel. Now, previously when he mentioned Israel, that group of people who have been known throughout history as being a rebellious people, we've, we, we, we expected him to just add a little bit of challenge, didn't we? He starts out with fellow Jews and then men of Israel. Then he says, brothers, and now he says, all Israel. So you're expecting a challenge to come. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, here's the amazing thing. This is a skill that we can learn. Everybody can learn how to do the work of identification with the people around us. You have to work hard with some people because you don't like them. You have to work hard with some people because you hate them. And everything they stand for. And 
I'm just being honest with you. That's the truth of it, isn't it? And so you have to work at the identification. And as you do the identification, you do it through finding connection points in a common history. Are there common heroes? Is there a common heritage that we share? And as you do that, and the person begins to draw near, you offer the challenge, the challenge of a, of a somewhat different story. The challenge of separate paths that you're walking on. The challenge of a salvation that you have come to know and that you're inviting another to embrace. As we learn this skill, it's something that God can use over and over again. And just like Peter, who was thoroughly immersed in all of the skills of invitation and challenge, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you become an invitation and challenge machine. The Holy Spirit comes and activates and enlivens all of the circuitry of invitation and challenge. And he empowers you in the skills that Jesus has, has riven into you as you've learned to follow his ways. And as the Spirit fills you time and again, and you hear the injunction of the Apostle Paul to be filled continually by the Holy Spirit, you become the kind of person who is this invitation and challenge person. People want to be around you. But even as they want to be around you, they feel a little bit uncomfortable from time to time because it's like you just bring a challenge. But you don't just bring a challenge. You always find ways to create identification and a connection. And when we become those empowered, invitation and challenge people, when we become empowered, fishers, of people, when we become empowered horse whisperers, the same thing happens as happened to Peter on the day of Pentecost. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. It's as though. When the Holy Spirit uses this methodology, it opens up the inner life of the people that we're connecting with. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, did they say, oh, you? Did they say, get out of here? Well, they weren't English, so they probably wouldn't have said it like that anyway. But you know what I mean. They said, brothers, what shall we do? In other words, as they heard the invitation, they came closer. As they heard the challenge, they decided that they weren't going to run away. They heard more invitation, and so they, they leaned in. And even though the challenge seemed to ask of them something that would undoubtedly produce pain in their life. They wanted what it was that was being offered more than they feared the pain 
that it would produce. And even though they were cut to the quick, even though they were cut to the heart, they said to Peter and the apostles, we want to be the same family. We want to have the same story. We don't want to be separated from you. We want to have the same salvation that you have. Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, become like us. Begin the journey of this story in the way we did. Turn your life around. Be baptized into the identity of Jesus. And you will be forgiven for your sins. And you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's for you and for your children. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Do you hear this? Do you understand what it is that Jesus is saying to you today? He wants you to be a horse whisperer. He wants you to be a fisher of people. He wants you to learn invitation and challenge. And you say, well, I mean, how do I learn it? Well, just reflect back on this day. Jesus, by his spirit, has been at work this day doing invitation and challenge. In the worship, there was invitation and challenge. There were words on the screen that that challenged you. There were words on the screen that invited you. As I've been speaking to you, you've been, you've been invited in because you've, you've thought, oh, I'd like to be like that. But then the challenge is, but you're going to have to change if you're going to be like that. And so invitation and challenge has been all through your day already. And if we'll just learn to make those observations and and follow those reflections, we will become people who will learn from Jesus and by his spirit what it means to identify invitation and challenge in our life. And not only identify it, but embrace it. And not only embrace it, but to articulate it in our lives. And here's a little clue. Because I've been working on this for a long time and I've taught lots of people this. Everybody has a strength one way or the other. Some people are more invitational and some people are more challenging. No prizes for finding out which one I am. But as you get older and as you become more mature as a Christian, so you balance out the strengths. Because you learn to strengthen your your other hand. It's like learning to to write your signature with your other hand. And eventually, with enough practice, it looks recognizably like your signature. If you just did it first time, it doesn't look anything like it, does it? But we we strengthen these things as as we identify the places where we're perhaps in need of growth and strengthening. And so today... Hear the inviting call of Jesus to walk on the waters of discipleship. In the midst of the wind and the waves, feeling like 
It's too much of a challenge to identify with people that I don't like. It's too much of a challenge to, to reach out to people I don't love. Call out to Jesus and he'll help you. And he'll help you to continue to walk on the water of discipleship. And so today, young and old, male and female, boys and girls, men and women, wouldn't it be a great thing if today we resolved to learn how to do this one special way of Jesus? Because this special way of Jesus is the way that Jesus made disciples and the way that he's growing you as a disciple today and the way he wants to use you as a disciple to nurture your children, to care for your spouse, to encourage your friends and to make disciples of all nations. And so, let's hear the call to follow in the ways of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray.